gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the importance of youth hunts. We're going to talk about a training tip for fixing cigar holding, which is an improper hold of a bumper. And we're going to end with the importance of having an exact spot when you are scouting for where to set up. All this and more coming up. So right now, first, I want to talk about the importance of youth hunts. I just had the last youth hunt with my son, Callahan, and that is the last youth hunt with all of my three boys. Youth hunts, in a way, are... Uh, were a rite of passage in our family. It was when you got to start going out in the field. I think I got better at them as I went with my uh, teaching, preaching, as well as uh, trying to push responsibility on my kids. And I can tell you that I have memories that will last a lifetime. Callahan had a fun year this year uh, with his youth duck hunt. We actually took one of his friends along. And I had a, a second youth along that I was in charge of. It was interesting because uh, the young man had never duck hunted before. And it, I guess I needed to be a little more on top of things. I watched and I was like, okay, well, well we got to slow this down and slow that down. When I should have said that in the beginning. But no harm, no foul. Uh, we, we, we had a good safe hunt. It was just I looked at things and when I had another child along, I didn't understand the fact that he had not... Uh, gotten the same experience as my kids, which my kids experience wise probably have more than most with all of the places that we filmed at and hunted all over the, all over North America. But regardless, our, our duck hunt was fun. Um, I think both kids learned that they, uh, they need to lead birds and that they need to shoot better. And, uh, then we just went out for our deer hunt and in three sits, we had two mornings and one afternoon, we saw a total of 16 deer on our properties. One of them was a very nice buck that Cal took a shot at at uh, just over 170 yards, which is a long shot for anyone, especially a kid, and he did not uh, did not hit the deer. It was a good safe shot as far as uh, just the front half of the deer was available, so it would have been a kill shot had he hit it, or at least a, a grave wounding shot, and uh, he, he completely whiffed. So it was, it was fun for him. He, uh, I think, is... A little upset by it still because it was it was quite a nice deer that anyone would be happy with, but regardless, it was it was just a fun experience. Uh, what did I work on this year with Cal during our youth hunts? I worked with him on the importance of not having your device out, not having your phone out. I've tried to explain to my kids and other kids that if you're gonna just go out and play on your phone, you might as well stay home and save me or your parents money as opposed to sitting out there and watching the phone as opposed to watching nature. Uh, it was very easy for me to point this out on our deer hunt. 
the set that afternoon where Cal missed the buck. There were two different times we saw deer. Both times, if he was on his phone, he never would have even known they were there. Now, I'm probably a bad example to have out there, and I need to listen to my own advice. I'm on my phones because, or my phone because I'm working. I'm posting on social media. I am emailing people back. Uh, we had two litters of puppies born, so I had a lot going on. But <laughs> I do not get engrossed in my phone like kids do. Kids, they get humped over and they never look up. I watched Cal, I don't know how many times, where he just never even looked up. And I kept pointing that out to him, finally telling him, just put the phone away. I think that's a good policy to have. I think that the more we worry about duck hunting, deer hunting, or pheasant hunting, and being in the field, the better. And the less that we worry about our phones, uh, definitely the better. Uh, social media is really tough on everybody. Uh, it's, it's, it's addictive and it also, I believe, brings out the worst in many, many people. So we worked on not having her phone in her hand. I also worked with him on standing up. We had a stand where we were not in a blind and he could stand up. I'm trying to explain that when you're standing, you're more apt to pay attention because you don't have anything else that you're doing and it's hard to fall asleep, albeit after having three kids in the field, I think all of them could have fell asleep uh, standing up, <laughs> just something that a parent goes through and you have them out there. It is, uh, it's always, always interesting. Uh, if you're going to get your kid into hunting, try to have as good a gear as you can for them so they're warm. I always remember when I was a kid, hunting clothes weren't what they were, uh, what they are now. Um, the, the gear that I have now is so incredibly comfortable compared to then. When you were hunting uh, back when I was a kid, boots were not the best. You always had cold feet. Uh, we did not have uh, good gloves. And hand warmers were just being pioneered. So I have my setup so that I am warm. I, I try to explain to my kids uh, they need to take care of their gear because we have nice gear from uh, being on the TV show for nine years. And the one thing I like to have is I like to have a uh, vest on the outside that I can put my hands in uh, for, for warmth. And then I can put my, my uh, hand warmers in. Just works better. I know a lot of people have the uh, hand warmers that go around your waist where you can stick both hands in. I like a vest. It just seems to keep me more warm. But having good gear, making sure they're paying attention, and teaching them the lessons that are so important about hunting. That's what youth hunting is all about. Uh, the last thing I would say is get them out shooting as much as possible. Uh, I made the point that this year was the year we were going to shoot a lot. We started out good. We uh, shot a few times and then just got busy throughout the year. Next year, we're going we're gonna to do the same. We're going to start out early, but we're going to follow through the whole year so that the kids are really, really ready for hunting season uh, when it comes it's it's tough. I don't know if any level of shooting would have helped Cal make that shot uh, at 170 yards. I would like to hope it would have, but uh, he he's he's generally I don't think he's missed a deer yet. So that was the first one he missed. But uh, what a deer to miss on! I think part of it was the adrenaline rush. It was it was a pretty good either an eight or ten point buck that was uh, outside his ears. So anybody would have had their heart just hammering away, and they would have been nervous as heck. He took it like champ though. Hopefully, he will get a chance at that deer or a bigger one. 
once we get into archery and our uh, regular gun season for uh, Wisconsin. So again, if you have kids, take them out. Um, take it from me personally. The memories that you have are for a lifetime. I have three boys. One's now in heaven. Um, I get pictures on Facebook of my son Cole when we were out doing our youth hunts, and I just smile every time I see him. It hurts. Double-edged sword. You hate getting those updates on social media when they are of someone that you lost, but Cole was such a beautiful soul, such a beautiful boy, and to have these memories of him that I can save and I have in my phone. That is one thing I've got uh, all of my pictures of my hunts with my kids in my phone as well as uh, there are other big moments in life and I can take a stroll down memory lane. You can't replace the memories that you get with your kids and I am now at the point where I'm assuming my kids aren't going to want to sit with me anymore because they're all old enough to sit by themselves. Uh, I guess I'm getting old but I have memories of my kids on youth hunts for waterfowl and deer. Um, I've got uh, memory memories hunting with them uh, all over the country. But my most intimate ones were the youth hunts because that was a time when I couldn't hunt. I was just there to mentor them and to give full attention to them. They will probably say that I uh, got after them and uh, maybe chewed their butts a few times as I was teaching them. Um, but overall... My focus was on them, and it was something that I am so glad I got to participate in with my kids. Very sad that it ended. I guess I got to look forward to uh, grandkids at some point and doing youth hunts with them. Hope you enjoyed this section. Next, we are going to talk about a training tip that is going to fix something commonly known as cigar holding. Stay tuned right after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by... Neck Outdoors. On this week's training tip, we're going to talk about how to fix a hold on a bumper that is commonly known as cigar holding. Basically, it sounds it is exactly how it sounds. Cigar holding is when the dog is holding the end and looks like they have a cigarette or a big cigar sticking out of their mouth and they're not doing a proper hold in the middle of the bumper. Now, there are bumpers you can buy that are smaller in the middle that will help teach proper holding. Uh, there are other methods you can do as well. But the first thing you have to do is work with a dog on something called trained retriever force fetch. When you are doing this, you are basically working on mouth control for the dog, telling them when to fetch, when to drop the, the item they have in their mouth, and conditioning them that they have to hold until you give that command. I start up on a wooden bench when I'm doing force fetch and everything I'm working on is hold. I do not allow cigar holding when I'm working on my force fetch or on any parts of my retrieve and training. And I will say that I normally do not see it once I get uh, dogs when they're hunting or when I'm training them at a more advanced level. Does that mean that it is because I'm the greatest trainer? Uh, you could argue that. Probably not. It probably, it probably is just that I'm being consistent and consistently working with the dog over a six to eight week period on my force fetch trained retrieve as well as, uh, as, well as my, my uh, competition training to get them ready for a senior, senior uh, or started hunting retriever test or a junior test. 
that's basically at a gun dog level. So I am putting six to eight weeks in working with them on this hold so that it basically just comes natural to them. So if you have a dog that is doing this, one, is it bad? It can be because the dog won't be able to hold on as good. So it's something you do want to correct. Is it the end of the world if the dog does it every once in a while? Absolutely not. But what you're going to want to do is work with the dog on their hold command. Again, put them back up on a raised surface, tailgate of a truck, a freezer, a uh, wooden bench uh, for a uh, table, uh, trained retrieve table or force fetch table. Work with them on hold. Tell them to fetch. Have them grab the bumper in the right place and tell them to hold. When you are working on anything in training, you are going to use negative response if they don't do what you want. Where we fail as trainers is we don't use enough positive. When the dog is holding the bumper where you want, you continue to tell them, hold, good dog, hold, good, hold, good dog. Giving them reassuring and positive reinforcement over and over and over and over again. When you are doing your training, you want to look at your negative reinforcement, whether it be e-collar or your ear pinch or whatever method you have for doing your training. You want that to be 10 to 20% maximum on your training. So you're not going to be using it uh, negative reinforcement that much. With that, that is why we're going to give positive reinforcement 80 to 90%. And that is when we're going to keep repeating the command, even though the dog's doing it, keep repeating it over and over and giving them a positive response. A positive response is not just good dog, good. Dogs don't understand English. It's voice inflection. It is our body language. It's leaning into the dog. Good dog. Good. Letting them hear that soothing part of your voice so that they understand, hey, they really like it when I am holding this way. And then if they start to transition towards a cigar hold, you would grab the bumper back, move it in their mouth and tell them, hold. So you're basically giving them a negative reinforcement with your, uh, with your voice inflection so that they understand, all right, when I hold it like this, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Now, I will transition in my force fetcher trained retrieve to where I am using an e-collar after a week uh, for putting the pressure on the dog. So if the dog was not holding properly or dropped a bumper, I, I would nick them if they dropped it and tell them to fetch. And again, if they then picked it up wrong, I would shift it in their mouth. I would give them a very gruff hold and shift it in their mouth to understand that isn't where I want it to be. What I would do if it didn't work off the table and then taking them in the field, I would actually walk with them at heel for a week or two where I was just working on hold. So I'd be walking at heel, unleash, heel, hold, hold, heel, good. Again, you don't necessarily have to do this tip. It all depends on how far, how far the dog is in this habit. But it could be good to go from your raised surface to walking at heel to then working with them on short retrieves in the field. You can try just going into the short retrieves, but if you see any semblance of that cigar holding, you're going to want to go to that walking at heel. Always work with your dog retrieving on land when you're trying to fix something. So you're not going to put the dog in the water until you get this fixed when you're working with them on land. Remember, it's not about marking. It's not about the distance. This is about how the dog is properly picking the item up and bringing it back. So don't worry about having 100-yard retrieves. Worry about hand-thrown 20, 30 yards max 
and getting the dog to bring it back properly. So I hope that helps on this week's training tip. Next, we are going to give you a hunting tip after this. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Lastly, on our hunting tip, I am going to talk about scouting, which I know I have several times, but not even as much scouting on where the birds are, but exactly where they are. I have watched a pond now. Uh, We did youth deer season, and I could see what my kid calls the glory hole. It is a a pond on a property that's just holding birds that we've, we've done quite well on this year. And the birds are all favoring a certain area of the pond, which must be where they're feeding. We've got a blind on the pond, and I think what we're going to do is probably forego the blind, even though the blind is about 70 yards from where the birds want to be. I'm watching these birds. They're eating something in this area. I don't know if it's grass shrimp. I don't know if it's coontail seeds. I don't know what it is, but they have this one area that they are really enjoying. And the funny part is there's not even that many birds on the property. This is just the one area they're coming in to feed. The pond also is, is a very long pond and it goes from fat to skinny to fat again. They don't even eat at the other end. So whatever they are feasting on that has kept them in there for the last couple of weeks is in a certain area. And we are going to get into there and set up with uh, mud seats so that we're closer, so that the birds are closer in range. We've had issues on this pond where we're hunting where the birds are out at max range when they're finishing. And it's just made for, I guess, a lot more noise making than taking of birds. So next time when we go up, we're going to go out. I'm going to also look to see what kind of plants are there. I'm assuming it's probably something like a sago pondweed or it is Uh, In the past, we've put celery and some different things in there. I'm assuming it's something that is in there that these birds are hitting. But until we go out and hunt this pond, I'm not going to know. So we're going to set up actually and really, I guess, make our decision or or fine-tune our setup so that we're actually on the other side so that we're closer to whatever they're eating in this pond. I'm going to check after and I will tell you that If for some reason I can figure out what these guys are eating, I am going to be buying more of it to plant it because I have just watched everything from teal to mallards in there. Um, And it it has been an interesting year. Again, not that many birds on the property, but just birds in this one spot that they really, really have come back to. And we've hunted it twice already. So I will give you a report back on if I find anything at some point later in the season. But I hope that helps you with the hunting tip. Thank you so much for listening to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast today. Take care and God bless. Sporting Dog Adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun.